Now your host, Brad Behrens. Over to you, Brad. Hi, everybody. My name is Brad Behrens. I am the editor-in-chief here at the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Welcome to IAB There. There is a blackout in my town. I live in Portland, Oregon. And so uh, I hope that you'll forgive me uh, for coming at you from the dark. Uh, how lucky it is that I uh, have a little, uh, little portable internet device that should last for half an hour. Uh, so thank you for joining us. I there to connect the interactive uh, community, um, which uh, during this time of coronavirus, it is Tuesday, April 28th. Uh, again, please forgive me for being a little blurrier and possibly a little more buffered than usual. Our topic today is uh, coronavirus's impact now and in the future on programmatic ad buying. Uh, we are very blessed that Andrew Casale of Index Exchange is about to join us. Before he does, uh, let me remind you, as I always do, that you can ask questions, if you wish, on Twitter. And the hashtag is, uh, all caps, one word, IAB there, once again, IAB there, one word, all caps. Our team will be monitoring Twitter to see uh, if you have any questions, so please pose them there. And if we can please bring uh, Andrew Casale, the president and CEO of Index Exchange, uh, into the stream, we'll, uh, we'll get going. Andrew, welcome to IB There. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Brad. And uh, great quick work on the, uh, on the Wi-Fi. Uh, it's certainly Ooh. a testament to the resilience of our business to be able to pivot on a dime like that. I, uh, and also, uh, chance favors the prepared mind, and one of our producers, Connor Healy, was the person who insisted that I have the little MyFi box. So thank you, Connor. <laughs> you saved the day. Um, now, I have known your family for a while, and I've known Casale Media for a while, and a few years back, Casale Media morphed into Index Exchange. You're coming to us from Toronto today. Casale is a Canadian company, although... Uh, a huge global uh, network as well. Tell us about that transition. How did Index Exchange? Uh, absolutely. Uh, it's a great story. It's a long story. So I'll try to be very brief. Um, but I think there's three core Thank things you. to know uh, about our company. Um, you know, the first is that we're one of the original ad tech companies and we're still here today and thriving. We've been around a long time. Our company started right at the bottom of the dot-com bust. Uh, which is also a bit of a, you know, an interesting uh, learning spot for uh, what's to come after this uh, big global crisis. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, lessons that we can draw from that, too. Uh, the second thing to know is that we are an engineering company at our core. Half our company's headcount builds and is an engineering and product. Uh, and the third thing to know is that we're an independent company. No VC in index. Uh, I've never raised any capital. Uh, we've done it the hard way. It takes a lot longer, um, but we wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And so, you know, if you kind of align that to uh, the series of events that have preceded this moment, um, you know, the, the ad tech ecosystem has really grown up and really evolved and really changed. Uh, there's been a series of innovations that have led that, uh, a lot of disruption along the way. And through that, we've been able to pivot our company uh, in order to ensure that we're driving value and delivering value to the marketplace. Um, and so Index was really born of the recognition that uh, the automated era was here, um, you know, the time of the before martini lunch and the fax machine and the insertion order uh, wasn't really going to last and wasn't going to be sustainable. Uh, and it was an incredibly interesting space for us to flex our engineering muscle. And so Casale's uh, pivot into index was a multi-year pivot. It started in 2001, oh, sorry, in 2011. 
uh, and completed in 2015 with the rename. All right. Uh, well, thank you. I want to, to warn the audience that uh, if you lose me um, because of the power problems, then, then I'll beg Andrew's indulgence and we'll reschedule <laughs> for another time since I'm, I'm flicking in and out. But uh, so, so the topic for today is, is the impact of coronavirus on programmatic. And um, I, I guess my, the first question is, we, we in our spend research, we saw an initial uptick in investment in programmatic. The labor in changing how programmatic gets programmed, given the fact that those lives are up in the air. What what is the impact in March? What were you seeing in March? What are you seeing so far uh, in April? What do you That's a great question. Uh, and it's certainly something that we've been tracking uh, and living on a literally daily basis. Uh, certainly there was no real warning for this event. Um, and seemingly as our world uh, began to freeze over and we all started to move inside, um, our market and one of its greatest strengths being its agility uh, really showed its strength. And so what we saw through the course of March was almost typically through the course of a quarter or through the course of a month, uh, we see ad spend grow uh, day to day, week to week, and certainly a build up to the end of a quarter where a lot of marketers end up uh, putting out the rest of their budget. Uh, March ran in reverse from that. And so it ran in reverse in the sense that we saw a few things take place. Um, there were the brands that immediately uh, froze and, and, and pulled out. Um, all the obvious categories there being uh, you know, travel, hospitality, offline entertainment. Uh, one that was a little less intuitive, but makes a lot of sense now. Automotive also had a current climate. You, you can't really buy a car like you used to. And so I think that marketing has followed suit. Um, on the uh, on the whole, though, uh, the month of March ended up um, basically down day to day to the end of it, um, and it led us into April. Um, and, and April was really the sense of what the true bottom of, of this event was going to be. Um, we had to, we developed the phrasing that April is going to be another January in our ecosystem. And for those of you that have been in this business a long time, January is typically the low point in ad spend. Uh, April certainly showed us the same thing, at least in this co corona climate, and was our bottom, um, certainly declined relative to even the declines we saw in March. Um, but from April 1st, it's actually uh, been encouraging. Um, we've, we've seen a lot of hope return and a lot of brands return to the market too. And so from the 1st of April forward, you've seen growth, um, week over week and day over day growth. Um, it's certainly by no means uh, the April that any of us would have forecasted. Um, but we've started to see one interesting development, which is we certainly have a lot of brands that are, are frozen and paused in the obvious categories. Um, but then we have some brands that have retooled and come back to market. And so what we saw was, you know, marketers that had creative and messaging that really just didn't fit a, a COVID world um, pull, pulled back in March uh, for obvious reasons. You can't really have creative with uh groups of people or families celebrating in the light of this environment. So they all they all went dark, um, but they've started to retool and come back in April. And we've started to see a pretty big surge in brands. Um, we've even seen some stabilization. Uh, the retail category uh, is looking pretty robust after a dip as well. Uh, and so we're, we're expecting the same to develop uh, throughout the remainder of the quarter and hopefully uh, return us to some form of normal uh, before the end of Q2. Recognizing that Brad has dropped, um, I'll continue that 
uh, until I'm told to stop talking. Um, there's one interesting uh, development that we've also um, certainly talked a lot about and, and worked with marketers on, and that's funding publishing and news. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the tools in ad tech and the, uh, the science in ad tech is incredible. Um, you know, we can do things today that we've never been able to do before. Um, but some decisions that have turned out to be binary decisions uh, really shouldn't be. Uh, so, for instance, it's quite common uh, for marketers to pull back from any content that's deemed to be negative or controversial. Um, and unfortunately, Corona has been lumped up with that. And so has a huge surge in volume that publishers have seen. Um, we've reached out to, to quite a few marketers and also spoken to agencies on their behalf. And what we've learned is that one of the reasons for the pullback isn't just the, you know, kind of the science working overdrive, but it is this retooling creative messaging element. Um, if the message isn't really COVID appropriate, um, the brands are, you know, being incredibly risk adverse to avoid any negative exposure. Um, but they do see a return coming. Um, when campaigns are retooled, creatives on point, messages are appropriate to now, uh, we're hearing really positive things uh, about them returning to environments that they, they kind of made that binary decision on in the uh, early days of COVID. So uh, for media companies and publishers out there, uh, we do expect a, a continued uh, uptick to come. Hey, Andrew. Um, Can anyone hear me? Yes, bro, we can hear you. Andrew, I'm happy to uh, to fill in and continue yep. the interview as Brad has uh, some technical difficulties here. Um, what ad categories have you seen the most impact? Um, are you seeing any bright spots right now? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, the, the most impacted categories were the obvious ones, travel, hospitality, outdoor entertainment, anything like that, movies, uh, releases. So you can kind of like put those aside because everybody knows that. Um, you know, the surprising one for us, or at least early on, was automotive. Uh, the pullback there is real. It's pretty close to travel. Um, but again, not a huge shocker if you can't really go to a car lot and test drive a car. Um, the, the bright spots, though, are, are unique to this time and potentially not going away anytime soon. Um, so one of the bright spots has been business. Um, we're all working in new environments and we're doing everything we can to thrive. You know, Brad jumping onto the, uh, the, the, the cellular Wi-Fi, an example of that. Um, business has to keep going. Uh, so we've seen some pretty uh, exciting engagement here from everyone from Slack to Microsoft Teams to the Google products to Zoom, they're really stepping up and helping to promote a virtual workplace. And they're filling some of the void that some of those categories have left. Um, media has been huge. Uh, we're all you know, living in bunkers, kind of bored. Um, streaming services have really stepped up from you know, Disney Plus to uh, CBS and a bunch of them. They're, uh, they're marketing aggressively right now. They're looking for those new subscribers and they're trying to give us something to do with our time. And that's been huge. Uh, and it's helped fill, uh, fill a huge void in the market. And then finally, retail. Um, and retail has been interesting. And you, know, you can kind of make retail and e-commerce are sort of synonymous. Um, there has been a huge drop in the number of advertisers in this category. So a lot of businesses have kind of pulled back. However, those that remain, and that's a lot of the bigger brands and the bigger box uh, platforms, they've actually really stepped it up. Um, and so the retail category is actually the first that we consider to have recovered. Um, so we saw, you know, it's typical trajectory in March. Once we hit mid-March, there was a big dip. 
it bottomed on April 1st. Um, literally in the last week, it has now recovered to pre-COVID levels. Um, and that's really on the back of big brands, whether it be Target, uh, Walmart, or whomever, um, fill in the void. Um, but so that there, there have been you know, some negatives, but there's also been some bright spots too, which has been encouraging. Well, the uh, I'm going to tag team it back to Brad, um, who just came back on. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, throw some questions in. Um, but uh, Brad, I'll hand the, uh, the microphone back to you. Thanks again. Well, I, can you hear me is the question. Yeah, sound great. Well, I'm, uh, it's the power, if you can see, has come back on, uh, although internet is still low. I'm afraid I've, been, I've missed the last few minutes. Uh, thank you for gallantly continuing. Um, let me, uh, one thing that I thought I heard uh, as I was coming in and out and I'd like to, to talk with you about is in your blog on Index Exchange, flat is the new up was one uh, one's phrase that I thought was very provocative. Um, we're starting to see that. We'll be re releasing some research this week uh, on spend. Uh, Sue Hogan, our SVP of research will be joining us on Thursday, but unpack flat is the new up for us. Will you tell me what, uh, what that means and uh, is it as dire as it sounds? <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're trying to draw inspiration from wherever we can right now, um, and we have uh, you know incredible customers, media companies all over the world who work with Index, um, and we're trying to provide them as much guidance as we can from uh, the buyers that we also uh, partner closely with. And so that phrasing has actually been borrowed from uh, from one of our buyers uh, who uh, we just we just loved it and we thought it was appropriate for the time. And what it really means is like, just change the focus uh, that, you know, we all came into 2020 with incredible goals, uh, big plans, uh, big targets. Um, that is not the playbook anymore. And, and it might not be the playbook for the entirety of the year. Um, and so rather than looking at the even bigger chasm that may have been caused on account of the fact that we're not necessarily growing as we anticipated, uh, one point of focus to just start with is let's get back to where we were this time last year at the very least, that's the flat, um, because it's a little bit of a, of a more uh, addressable reality for today. Um, it's a benchmark that we can use. It's a little less demoralizing than maybe our lofty targets. Um, and we're starting to see it happen. And, and retail is kind of that first example where we saw a category that did get rocked right after COVID start to recover. And so if we start to see this across other categories, uh, we first get back to flat. And once we're at that baseline, then we can start talking about what the remainder of the year looks like. So it was sort of like a, a recommended uh, midway milestone for everybody to, to shoot for instead of whatever their targets for the year may have ended up being. So let's just dig in on that for a minute, because I, I think we need to celebrate optimism wherever we find it. And you earlier at the beginning, before um, the, the internet decided to, to boot me out for a moment, uh, you were saying that April is the true bottom. And so forgive me if John covered this already, but it sounds like you're looking at an upward swing and you, you're feeling pretty optimistic about the rest of the year. What's the basis of that optimism? Yeah, so um, you know, just to recap a little bit of what preceded the comment, March was uh, it was a bit of a depressing trend, to be perfectly honest, and to speak on behalf of a lot of our customers. Every day was a new low, um, and that was felt all across programmatic. We've never seen that before. Uh, we've seen dips, we've seen you know weird trends, but we've never seen each day set a new low. Um, and so April uh, certainly bested March in that respect, but it's stopped since the first. So after April 1st, we've started to set new highs seemingly daily. And so that, that's really what we're, what we're pointing to and what's encouraging um, because it, it did kind of feel like a spiral that wasn't stopping. 
but it stopped and uh, we've returned to, uh, you know, COVID growth. And, um, you know, that's being backstopped by us seeing marketers that pulled out come back to. Um, and, and that's the camp that we kind of consider to be the retoolers. Uh, and so that's what's driving a lot of the optimism we're seeing. It's by no means the April anyone had forecasted, let's just be clear. Um, but we have stopped that, uh, that trend um, and we've returned to some semblance of uh, at least day-to-day, week-to-week growth now. I think it was uh, T.S. Eliot who said April is the cruelest month, uh, but, uh, which, which is good because it's almost May. Um, did John have a chance to talk with you about creative when I was, uh, when I was booted? Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, briefly touched on that. Yeah. Okay. So then let, let's, you're, you've been very involved with something that's very dear to our hearts here at the IAB, which is Project REARC. Uh, Project REARC was a response, uh, for those of you who may not know, to uh, Chrome, the Google in the Chrome blog, uh, announcing in January that uh, on a two-year time frame, they would follow Safari and Firefox's lead in eliminating third-party cookies. The third-party cookie, of course, is the building block for much of the internet. So. Uh, Andrew, you've been quite involved with Rearca. What is uh, Index Exchange's perspective on it? What are you excited about? And what do you see the biggest uh, challenges are? And then post, uh, you know, post third-party cookie opportunities. Like, tell us, tell us how this is going to affect your business. Definitely. Um, there's a lot of things to say, um, so I'll, I'll try to start at the beginning, which is really just uh, the underlying um, fundamental here, um, which is we built an ecosystem, we built a market, we certainly built a programmatic stack, um, largely on the back of an identifier that was very brittle. And, you know, in hindsight, probably wasn't the best idea, but got us where we are, uh, and that identifier being the cookie. You know, um, forget about Chrome and forget about some of the recent um, priorities the industry is now uh, putting at the top of the list. Um, for years and years and years, everyone's griped about that cookie. Doesn't work cross device, it's brittle, breaks. Uh, you, you get all those things in Ghostery, you get the consumer questions. Um, there's just a lot of negative that came from it. Um, and so, you know, what preceded Google's move was, you know, on one hand, uh, Apple was Safari. Um, who really has been third-party cookie-free for many, many years, and they really just clamped down all the, the side doors with what they did in ITP. Uh, and then in the fall, uh, we saw Firefox follow suit. And so really then you were left with just one major browser that hadn't made a move, and it was inevitable that they would too. Um, and so the January announcement, if anything, just accelerated the inevitable, which was we have to do better. We've always had to do better. Um, we've just never made it an industry priority to go beyond uh, this brittle identifier. Um, so what's it going to mean? Um, there is a lot of work to be done uh, without a question. Um, it, it effectively requires a rethink of everything we do, compressed now into at least a two-year time frame. If not, it extended a little bit on the on account of COVID. We'll see what Google decides to do there. Um, and uh, we camp it down to three big buckets. Um, you know, the impact this has on addressability. Um, you know, how do you make media addressable without the cookie or without the third party cookie, at least? Um, so how do you target? Um, how do you deliver the right message to the right person? Uh, frequency capping, you know, good old frequency capping. It's, uh, it's so basic, but it is actually crippled uh, when you don't have a third party cookie because you can't do it cross site. Um, and uh, measurement and attribution, um, which is, you know, where we really should be starting the conversation instead of from the perspective of targeting. If the media ceases to be measurable, 
Um, you know, any marketer that I talk to doesn't feel really good about continuing to invest in the space. And so the impacts this has on measurability and attribution, I think, are critically important. And getting that right is, is really, 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 um, you know, uh, vital um, in this next course of action. And so when you think of reARC, um, it's really um, the sum of all of that. You know, looking at what, what, what did we use the cookie for before? What do we all do? What are all the use cases? Uh, what, what lives in each of those buckets? Uh, what do we want to continue to do tomorrow? And, and how can we approach that? And the short answer is going to be, there will not be one solution. Uh, there will not be one answer. There will not be one bet uh, that we can place. There's going to be a multitude of proposed approaches uh, with varying degrees of addressability, with varying degrees of measurability based on the environment. Um, and so for, you know, from Index's perspective, um, I'll say a few things. This isn't a new uh, space for us as a company. Uh, we've been uh, beating the drum of, of identity and, and the need to, to prioritize this for literally years. Um, and for a while there, it felt like we were the odd one out. And now it feels like everyone has joined the party, which is incredible because we need everyone to do this. Um, so we feel pretty well prepared. Um, we, we know it's going to be a lot of cat herding. Uh, there's a lot of pieces of this industry to align on some of these solutions. I think reARC is going to be an incredible umbrella to get that done, but we've got to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Um, and, um, and ultimately, there are going to be varying strategies that our customers, publishers, media companies uh, deploy, and we're going to be there to support them there too. Um, you know, so whether what that's... About what about the buy side? What what uh, what? How are you messaging to the buy side about what they will still be able to do and what they will no longer be able to do, uh, versus and what they will have to do differently, which are three slightly different different but overlapping categories. What's yeah. what's the downside for losing the third party cookie? I understand you've been advocating for it for a long time, but it did it did provide uh, certain capabilities that we're going to have to uh, to recreate and change. So tell me what. It, yeah, it's really starting from the, the, the kind of the optimistic view. Like, um, what, if, you, if, you, yeah, if you look at the macro industry narrative, forget about cookies, forget about ID, forget about Chrome, um, and just take a, you know, a slightly high level view of, of some of the topics that we've seen donning trades and trade shows or I should say um, conferences for years and years. It's that an increasing increasingly larger amount of the growth in this ecosystem is going to a small number of companies. You know, it was 70% of new ad spend to 80% to somewhere near 90%. I don't know exact, the exact numbers today, but year to year to year, we're seeing more and more and more uh, growth uh, go to fewer and fewer platforms. And so that's being driven by uh, marketers making these decisions. And if you, if you talk to those marketers, um, you know, th they'll tell you that they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. <laughs> they're doing it because uh, these platforms solve a lot of their problems. And one of them at the front and center is um, attribution works really, really well when, when there's a, a closed loop system uh, with a completely deterministic identifier, um, like some of these um, platforms uh, have available to marketers. And it solves not just targeting, but it solves measurement. Um, and it works and it's clean, and it's simple and it's easy. Um, so that's where we take our cue. Um, if we're to do anything, to improve the fundamental macro narrative around this ecosystem, we have to solve that problem. It just so happens that we don't really have a choice anymore because we're also gonna lose the cookie now. So on one hand, I'd say, if you forget about Chrome, we had to listen to the marketer anyway because they were voting with their wallet and telling us that the cookie wasn't cutting it. 
Um, and that's just been amped up now by uh, us not necessarily being able to latch on to the cookie much longer. It, it, to us, it's really, it's just been a crutch. Um, and I think it's been, it's been ignoring the needs of marketers for, for far too long. Um, but that, that's where I, I, I take my cue and that's the conversation I'm getting from the marketers. I'm doing less telling marketers what to do or what to think and just doing more listening. Um, I, I've been asking them, what should we do? And um, the answer continues to be um, solve this problem and uh, a lot will fall in place. So that, that's where uh, the, the guidance is coming from the, uh, from the buy side. So it sounds like it's uh, you're not letting the grants grow under under you uh, on these issues, but uh, first party data is one of the things that we're expecting to be heavying up on. And I'm curious what Index Exchange is doing now uh, versus what it what it will be planning to do as we get closer and closer to that deadline. So, and also whose first party data are you able? Or what what are you, let's start with publishers. What are you doing with publishers? Because uh, for premium publishers, this is uh, this seems like a pretty um, difficult but ripe opportunity to start really solidifying the value of their audience uh, with their partners on the, on the buy side. So what, how is Index Exchange facilitating this? Yeah, so there's, you, you kind of want to try to break down first party data if you can, in, in just in half. Um, so there's um, the first party data that each participant has to enrich an opportunity in some way. So take a, a publisher, um, they have their own first party audiences. They might know that, um, you know, this is a, um, if it's a typical news publisher, this is the business executive or uh, this is the sports enthusiast or what have you. And, it, and it's great data and it's first party data um, and it's useful. Um, and so to whatever degree we can help enable them uh, to bring that data into programmatic, uh, whether it be to make their deals that they're doing with buyers addressable or to segment their inventory in ways that help optimize for yield. Uh, we do that and we're gonna do that all day long. Um, but then there's a separate pool of first party data um, and that's the marketers first party data. Um, and marketers know an awful lot about their consumers. Uh, they have incredibly valuable data of their own, uh, whether it's a big automotive who knows which of their customers in varying stages of a, of a renewal of a lease uh, or whether it's a big retailer who has incredibly rich shopper data. Um, and you can just go down the list. There's so many that have this. Um, and for years and years and years, our bridge to that data uh, has been the cookie. Um, so we have used the cookie to try to bridge from the publisher to the marketer's first party data in a way that's very brittle um, and in a way that uh, really hasn't checked the box to the nearly the degree that the, the big walled gardens have. Um, and when we look forward, we wanna solve both use cases better. Um, and so use case one is really, um, you know, focusing on what the publisher has. Um, and there's a variety of platforms that are solving this problem already that we can wire into the exchange. Um, and then it's, uh, what is the new bridge? So what is the new way a publisher can allow, uh, let's say General Motors to use their um, gigantic customer file and all their rich data uh, to make media addressable, or even just to solve the attribution problem after the fact. Um, and we see the need for bridges here. And uh, one of the obvious bridges that's likely to come, and no guarantees, but I think it's, it, it's well in its way, uh, is authentication. Um, certainly a small number of publishers today have you know, a logged in audience or an audience that is authenticated, but wherever they have that, they then have the means from their own first party 
to bridge into a marketer's data set, which is where it gets really, really interesting. Um, and so that's kind of how we're trying to help. Um, but it's really just breaking down this first party concept a little bit, because when you take away the third party cookie, the ability to bridge from the publisher to the marketer uh, is compromised. And we need a new bridge um, in order to continue to drive the outcomes they're looking for. Well, we're, we're almost out of time. So let me ask you uh, one last question. And it's a personal question, which is, uh, what are you doing as a person or individual to, to stay connected and optimistic? You certainly uh, you seem very optimistic. Uh, we're, we're always trying to get tips and trips, tricks for people about how to, how to greet the morning. So what are you, what are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm drawing a lot from our past experiences. So I, I think I mentioned that uh, the company started at, at a pretty bad time on the internet at the bottom of the dot-com bus. No one thought this space was particularly interesting, but look what happened after that. Um, we were a company through the banking crisis of 08 and saw the, the hits that came from that, but we saw the other side of it and it did uh, drive a lot of the innovation that we now all rely upon today in the automated programmatic uh, arena. And so one of the things that I'm drawing on and, and kind of reiterating is uh, this is a really bad time, no doubt. Uh, nobody wants to see what's happening in our local communities, uh, the impacts to our business and ad spend. Um, but what follows events like this uh, is usually very, very positive change in innovation. And what might that be? Um, and I think our RIAR conversation is a salient one because I do think it's definitely going to be uh, you know, something that a lot of people are thinking about now. Uh, with heightened focus, but there could be others as well. Um, and so that's really what we're trying to put our energy towards. What follows? This will end. Uh, we don't know exactly when, but we know this will end. Uh, what does this event help accelerate on the other side? And what can we be doing now and focusing on now uh, so that we can all thrive on the other side of this? Um, that's where I'm drawing my inspiration. And uh, I hope a lot of the IAB uh, member companies will, will hopefully do the same and, and we can find a way to turn this into a positive in the end. Well, Andrew Casale, thank you so much for joining us. I want to, in particular, thank you for being so deft and gracious as we've had to uh, wrestle with some rather surprising technical difficulties. Thank you so much for joining us on IB there. I hope we'll see you again soon. Thank you. So on tomorrow's show, we're excited to welcome Ari Paparo, the CEO of Beeswax. We will look at how consolidation and machine learning uh, are changing the landscape in the programmatic space. So another day on programmatic tomorrow. IAB There is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, Tufika Mahinadin, and Haley Bloom. I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. Thank you so much for joining us. Please come back tomorrow. If you're interested in viewing this uh, video again uh, or any of our previous videos, please visit our archive, which is at iab.com slash there. Come back, join us again tomorrow at 2 p.m. because if it's a weekday and it's 2 p.m. Eastern, then you know it's time to IAB there. Thank you for your patience and for joining us today. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Bye-bye now.